We all have stories. What are your stories? And how might your story help or inspire someone else? Welcome to episode 391 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anne, Karen, Kipris, DJ, Charlene, Tasha, and Nancy. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anne, Karen, Kipris, DJ, Charlene, Tasha, and Nancy, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I'm going to talk about stories today. I've been thinking off and on over the years, actually, but recently about the power of stories to inform, to inspire, to awaken curiosity, to awaken understanding in my life, and I guess by projection in your life as well. You know, we all have stories. In Al-Anon, we tell our stories to each other. Why do we do this? In our suggested welcome for Al-Anon or Al-Teen meetings, it suggests that we say what is in our minds and hearts, for this is how we help one another in Al-Anon and Al-Teen. In fact, the full paragraph emphasizes the importance of sharing our stories. It says, Anonymity is an important principle of the Al-Anon program. Everything that is said here in the group meeting and member to member must be held in confidence. Only in this way can we feel free to say what is in our minds and hearts, for this is how we help one another in Al-Anon. There's a lot of power in stories for me. When I read you should do X and Y to get Z. My first impulse is to be skeptical. Really? I just do those things and I get this other thing? Yeah, sure. Tell me about it. If, on the other hand, I hear you tell a story about how you did X and Y and you got Z, then I'm much more likely to accept that those same actions might work for me. And here's a little story. When I first came into Al-Anon, I really had no idea what the program was about, how it might help me in what I thought at the time, maybe helping to get my alcoholic sober, or perhaps just for me to find some peace, for me to find a little bit less anger and resentment and turmoil in my life. Didn't really know. And I started to hear your stories of recovery. And for many of you, recovery even while your loved one was still drinking. And I thought, I'd like that. How do I get there? And what I heard you say in your stories, by putting your stories together, one on top of the other, I heard you say, go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. 
And I had no idea how those simple steps would help me to peace and serenity. I had no idea how that was going to work. But because you told your stories about how these things had worked for you, I decided to give it a try and to not leave you in suspense. The short answer is I did find some peace. I did find some serenity. I found less anger and less despair and less fear and less resentment by doing those things that I had no idea why they would. And if you had just said to me, yeah, go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, do the steps and your life will be better. I would have said, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Show me. And your stories showed me. When I look at the Al-Anon literature, I see that much of it is personal sharing, otherwise known as stories. I have an older copy of the book, How Al-Anon Works. And when I look at the table of contents, I can see that pages 1 through about 130 are explication, explanation of the program. The rest of the book from 135 through, say, 380 is stories. So some very rough math says about two-thirds of the book is stories. When they put together that book, they obviously recognized the power of those stories. I remember when I was new in Al-Anon, I was still unable to sleep at night while I was worrying about my loved ones drinking, while my hamster was spinning that wheel in my head about all the things that were wrong and were going to be wrong and were going to get worse, I could pick up this book. I could turn to one of the stories in the back, and I could find a little bit of relief, a hint of hope, a view of possible serenity. And after reading a story or two, I could go to sleep, just knowing that someone else had been where I was and had gotten through, had gotten better, had recovered. That was enough for me at that moment. Those stories were invaluable to me at that point, at that time. Some stories are big and dramatic. We like to hear those stories from the stage at a conference where we can laugh and be aghast and cry and just enjoy the story. Other stories are small and quiet. All those stories have power to reach into hearts and minds. And whether you're sharing for a couple minutes in a meeting, or you're giving an hour-long talk in a conference hall with thousands of people in front of you, your story will inspire enlighten, or brighten the day for someone. I thought I'd share a few of my stories here today. I was at a recovery center for Friends and Family Day, listening to a series of lectures about alcoholism, about recovery. And in one of those, the person giving the talk said, this is the way I heard it, said, you didn't cause the alcoholism. You can't control it. 
you can't cure it. And in that moment, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted from me. The weight of trying to do a job that this person told me was not mine to do. That I could let go of it. I didn't have to keep trying. And I identify that as the moment where I first actually took in my heart step one, and that inspired me to go to my first meeting. A little story perhaps, but it had a huge impact on my life. Some years later, I'd been in Al-Anon for a while. My loved one had found sobriety. My children were going to college. One day, I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but I assume we got a phone call. I have blocked this out, apparently. We got a phone call that our son was in a psych ward, admitted because he was deemed to be a danger to himself or others from something he had done while he was at college. I didn't know how to respond, how to react, what to do. But what was clear was that one of us needed to fly halfway across the country in order to get him released because as a consequence of his actions, he had been banned from campus where he was living in the dorm, so he had no place to live. And the psych hospital was not willing to let him out where he would be homeless on the street. So I knew I had to do that, but I really felt like I didn't know what to do beyond that. I went to a meeting that night and I cried. I said, I'm flying to get my son out of the hospital tomorrow and I don't know what to do. I feel like if he was in a treatment center in a rehab, I would know what to do about it because I've been in Elanon for a while, but I don't know. I just don't know what to do. And there was love and support in that room that helped me get through the night. It turned out that I did know what to do, and perhaps more importantly, I did know what not to do. What not to do was to try to fix his problems for him. What to do was to provide for him the things he could not provide for himself. And my early sponsor said a definition of enabling was doing for someone the things that they could do for themselves, getting between them and the consequences of their actions. So what I could do was to supply for him a place to live, food to eat, and transportation. What he needed to do was to work with the counselor and the campus police to get readmitted, to be able to go back on campus. He had to accept a no-contact restraining order from a person who had felt threatened by his actions, which meant that he could no longer live in the dorm because this person lived in the same dorm. Hard to have no contact when you're living in the same building. So he had to find a new place to live for the next month or so till the end of the semester. He had to get transportation because living on campus, he could walk everywhere. And now he was going to be living several miles off campus and had to have transportation. He did all those things himself. 
he dealt with the consequences of his actions himself while I provided the things that he couldn't provide. And at the end of a week, as I was getting ready to leave, he gave me a hug and he said, thank you for coming. I don't know what I would have done without you. This is the son who a year and a half earlier, we had been almost estranged living in the same house. He was ready to be gone and we were ready for him to be gone. And this experience not only showed me that I could really apply what I had learned in dealing with active alcoholism in other areas of my life, but it also helped to repair a rift between us. A little story, probably humorous. I think it's humorous. My wife had come home from a stay in a treatment center, and she was eating what I felt was too much ice cream. She used to drink too much alcohol, now she's eating too much ice cream. That triggered the same feelings in me, to some extent, that the drinking did. And I said something to her one night about, don't you think that's enough, or wow, that's a lot of ice cream, or I don't know exactly what I said. And she just looked at me and said, you should call your sponsor. And so I did. And my sponsor said, effectively, okay, you've had your say. Now shut up. How much ice cream she eats is her business, not yours. Darn it. But you know, it helped me to see a little bit more of what was mine and what was not mine. To set a boundary, I guess. Quite recently, we, when I say we, my wife and my two kids my two adult children, were in a car. We were driving to a restaurant where we were going to have dinner with my sister, maybe my brother. I don't remember exactly now. And one of my kids started going off on something political and eventually got to the point where he was starting to make personal remarks about a national leader that I didn't like. In the past, I might have just shut up and endured it, or I might have exploded. But what I did this time was I said, please stop. If you continue along that line, I will get angry, and I don't want to be angry. And he said, oh, okay, that simple boundary, quietly said, quietly received, meant that we didn't get to dinner with me seething and him feeling shut down and like learning to do that makes my life easier to live. All right. One more story. Before I came to Al-Anon, I was a very angry, rageful person. The smallest thing would set me off. You know, the kids spilled a tablespoon of milk on the table at dinner and I would yell and pound the table. I mean, really pound the table with my fist. At least I wasn't hitting anybody. I was just hitting the table, but it was not a pretty sight. I would yell at my coworkers and I didn't seem to be able to control it. I didn't seem to be able to not do it. It just came out. The first gift, the first miracle, if you will, that I got from this program was removal of that rage. 
it just went away. I still got angry occasionally. I still reacted loudly occasionally, but I don't recall ever screaming and pounding the table again. Well, this behavior was something that when I got to step nine, it was very clear that I had to make amends to a number of people in my life, and in particular, in this case, my children. The best amend I could make was not doing it anymore. Couldn't go back and change what had happened. I was talking to one of my children about this, about my anger and how it had come out on them, and that I had worked really hard to not do that anymore. And my kid said, when I was a kid, when that would happen, I would just go in the other room and curl up in a chair. And I would know that you would calm down. And then in a little while, I'd have my daddy back again. When I heard that, it just broke my heart that this was how I had hurt my child. And that he had to go to that place where if I just hide out here, I'll be okay and my daddy will come back. The recognition that the angry me wasn't me, I guess. Anyway, I'll never forget that. Never forget that. So those are a few of my stories, some little ones, some bigger ones. And I know that you also have stories. You have big stories and small stories. So I'm inviting you to share them with me so that I can share them with you. That I can share each of your stories with each other in a future episode. Send me a voice memo or an email to feedback at the recovery dot show or call our voicemail at 734-707-8795 and share your stories. Thank you. I tried to find songs about stories for this episode. And the first one that occurred to me is one that, that I have loved for a long time. It's by Brandy Carlisle and it's called The Story. And you can listen to this and the other selections at therecovery.show slash 391. Here's a few lyrics from the song. It's about telling her story and sharing it. And that her story doesn't mean anything if she can't share it. Here's some lyrics. All of these lines across my face tell you the story of who I am. So many stories of where I've been and how I got to where I am. But these stories don't mean anything when you've got no one to tell them to. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? One of the gifts, I think, that working this program of recovery, and I think in particular working inventory, and working inventory with other people. And it's been my experience that three times in in my time in Al-Anon, I have worked the steps with a small group as we worked through the steps together, or at least worked through our understanding of the steps together. Hearing other people's experiences, hearing other people's stories, helped me to see that I am not uniquely a horrible person because that ass-kicking machine inside me can kick off and 
tell me that I'm so bad, I'm uniquely bad, nobody's ever done these horrible things in anybody else. And I know that's not true because I hear that you've had the same feelings, that you've done similar actions. And that helps me to feel human, and it helps me to accept and love myself. And it helps me to see that just as I am not my outside, my inside can be sometimes very different from my outside, that you are not your outside. And to look more deeply for what is in the people I love or the people that I don't love. One of our sons is here visiting for Christmas time. The other one, unfortunately, has COVID and hopefully will be coming later next week after he's recovered. The one who's visiting is one that I have some fundamental disagreements with about the way in which we view the world, the way in which we live in the world, which has led me to be anxious about spending time with him, to feel negative anticipation about spending time with him. What has become more evident during this visit is, number one, he doesn't seem to feel that way. He wants to spend time with us. He talked about his friends at home that don't have family that they can spend time with during this time of year when there's this expectation that we spend time with our family. And how fortunate he feels to not have that problem. He gives us hugs. He is a very kind and loving person. He just has some opinions that I don't agree with. Sometimes when he expresses those opinions, I get rubbed the wrong way. I get a little angry. But knowing that he really is a good person helps me to not express those feelings at least, and I think to not go there as strongly as maybe I have sometimes in the past. I really don't think I would have that understanding and that ability to recognize the boundaries that I'm not him and he's not me. That he is thinking independently and has formed his own opinions and his own way of life. And they're not mine. And that's okay. And we can still be together. We can still find happiness and enjoyment and love together, even though we disagree. I don't think I could have done that without this program. I really don't. Well, what's coming up? Uh, I like at the beginning of the year to spend a little time looking back and looking forward and setting intentions, not resolutions, intentions. How are you setting intentions for the new year? How are you looking at the year past and maybe seeing what you want to change, but maybe more importantly, what went well for you this year? What did you do this year that was different from what you had done in the past and how much more do you like that? There's some questions you could think about, and we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation, leave us a voicemail, send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And as I mentioned earlier, you can call and leave us a voicemail, and that is a voicemail-only number. 
at 734-707-8795. If you're outside the U.S., that's plus one, 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. Or you can send a voice memo from your phone or an email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope. Your questions about today's topic of stories, any of our upcoming topics, including intentions for the new year. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, of course, let us know. If you want advance notice for some topics so that you can contribute, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Please put email in the subject line to make it easier for me to spot that that's what your message is about. And our website, which is heytherecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the literature that we read from, videos for the music, and there's some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. So go visit us at therecovery.show. And if you want to tell a friend about the podcast, you can just send them to the website, therecovery.show. It has a page where there are a bunch of links to subscribe or follow the show in different applications on different computers or phones or iPads or tablets or whatever device it is that you have. Maybe your watch. I don't know. Anyway, second song that I chose is a song that tells a story. And this is called Cats in the Cradle. It's by Harry Chapin. Those of you who are of my generation probably remember this song. It came out in 1974. It's a song about the relationship between a father and a son. Probably one of the reasons it touched me, huh? And the father is a very busy man. He doesn't have time to play with his son, to spend time with his son growing up. And then when he gets older and his son grows up and is an adult, he discovers that his son has, as the song says, just like him. Here's that verse from the song. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. I'm grateful that I can find time to be with my children and that my children can find time to be with me. We have, as my friend John M. says in his podcast, Sober Speak, we have plenty of listener feedback today. I've been saving it up, done a couple of episodes, one was, yeah, your voices, but it was all on gratitude. I didn't want to throw in random emails and stuff then. And I think there was one before that where I also really didn't include any listener feedback. So this is like a couple of months worth of stuff. So let's start with Mark. Mark writes, I'm a relative newcomer to Al-Anon. I have discovered addiction and addictive ways of being have been part of my life since I was born. As I sit and compose this email to you, thoughts keep swirling around in my head. 
There is much I'd like to say, so much I'm worried my note will sound like alphabet soup when I'm finished. I am the adult child of an alcoholic grandfather. While my father did not drink, because he is the adult child of an alcoholic parent, my childhood home was affected by addictive ways of being that are typically found in homes struggling with addiction. Additionally, my wife is an adult child of alcoholic parents and struggles with her own addictions. In February of 2021, complications from a sugar and carbohydrate addiction almost ended her life. While the road is still bumpy, I'm grateful to say my wife is now active in several recovery programs. Finally, our children, ages 12 and 14, are actively struggling with the same sugar and carbohydrate addiction that almost killed their mom. As if that isn't enough, our family situation became even more complicated when my wife and I learned our son's addictive compulsions had led him to molest his sister. We are currently living in two different homes while our children are receiving the professional help they need for our family to reunite in one house. Unfortunately, due to my work schedule, I am no longer able to attend my Al-Anon group meetings. I do have a sponsor. I am currently working step four. I keep up with the daily readings and have recently started listening to your podcast to keep myself connected to a recovery group. I've been jumping around in your list of podcasts looking for topics that hit close to home for me. I've particularly enjoyed episodes 380, Awareness and Acceptance. 381, Acceptance is a Gift of Recovery. 379, Letting Go. 385, Worry Less. 384, Leaning into Faith. Number one, Boundaries. Number three, Acceptance. 196, Resentment. 84, The Four M's. 87, Unmanageability. 135, Cooperation and Balance. And 141, Intimacy. I hear something deep and meaningful in each of your podcasts. They are truly a blessing, and I am grateful for the way you have chosen to help others in their recovery efforts. Recently, I heard you asking for parents of children struggling with addiction. I am certainly that. I don't know if or how sharing my struggles might help other parents, but I am willing to do a podcast with you. I'm going to break in for a minute here. This is Spencer. Wow, what a connection to today's topic, huh? Here's a guy that has some stories that might touch you and is willing to share them. Yeah. Mark, if you have the time, we could do that. Love to do that. He continues. I find my children's struggle with addiction terribly agonizing from many aspects. What initially set me into a tailspin was the interaction between my children and my wife when my wife was still active in her struggle with sugar and carbohydrates. She was and might still be an enabler for our children. I also struggle because as a parent, we are supposed to get between trouble and our children. I have yet to determine where this parental duty ends regarding their sugar addiction. This is further complicated because I feel a parent has a duty to act as the prefrontal cortex for their children until it is fully developed, which is somewhere around the age of 25. Man, right there with you, Mark. I just got to say three C's. (laughs) And then there is the ever so lovely addition of puberty, which both our children hit at the same time. And he's got exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Woof. Yeah. There is nothing easy with our family situation right now. Thankfully, I have arrived at a point where I'm truly grateful for my wife's struggle with addiction. It led me to Al-Anon. Al-Anon has given me insight into my lifelong struggles, a path toward recovery, and tools to help myself and those around me. I'm learning to use steps one, two, and three in every aspect of my life, but I still struggle. I have having difficulty in finding a balance between being a functioning prefrontal cortex for my children and letting go. My children's actions are hurting themselves and those around them, 
where and when does my parental duty to my 12 and 14-year-old qualifiers end? Really good question, Mark. Really good question. I think it's one that each of us has to find our own answers to. All we can do is share stories. Maybe my dilemma is a podcast topic. Maybe sharing this struggle can spark a discussion that somehow provides clarity for myself and others. Again, I'm going to jump right in here because by the time I get to this end of the letter, I'm going to forget everything I wanted to say anyway. Maybe sharing this struggle can spark a discussion that provides clarity for myself and others. I've got two observations there from my own experience. One is that so often somebody will share a struggle of theirs and I will connect with it identify how that same struggle is present in my life. And lighting that up then means, ah, now I can do something, perhaps because the first problem is recognizing the problem, right? Second observation is, and this comes from my professional life, that when I'm struggling with something, a piece of software that I'm developing or a bug that, that I can't just cannot figure out, so often just explaining the problem to somebody else, stepping through the different parts of the problem, I find my own solution. And this is actually like a recognized thing that happens. And sometimes we refer to what we call rubber duck debugging. And that comes from a story where programmer goes to his manager or his lead and he says, I can't figure this out. Can you help me with it? And the manager says, you see that that duck over there, that rubber duck over there? First explain it to the rubber duck. And then if you still don't see it, then come to me. Because this happens, and this has happened so many times. I remember that I had a colleague that I'd call him over. I say, "Hey, Rob, can you help me figure this out?" And I explain it to him, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what the problem is." And we joked about I should get like one of those big cardboard cutouts of him, and then I could just explain it to cardboard Rob. Anyway, way off topic, but back to Mark. My children go through different degrees of acceptance on a daily basis. In trying and failing for years with my wife, I learned that help is only help when people want it. Help offered to the unwilling is received as control and manipulation. Knowing this, how can I as a parent successfully encourage my children in being willing to accept the reality of their lifelong struggle? This is especially complicated because I am a baby and addressing my lifelong ways of being that have only further complicated our family's already difficult situation. And again, exclamation, question, exclamation. This might be a time when they might receive it more gracefully from somebody who's not you. Sometimes getting a professional in can be helpful in that way. Okay, back to Mark. This is the point where I have to say I can't. My higher power can. I'll let my higher power do it. Amen. One, two, three. That being the case, maybe my higher power can speak to me through you or another listener of your podcast Thank you yet again for the recovery show. It is a true blessing. Your thoughts on anything I have shared will be much appreciated in peace, love, gratitude, and recovery, Mark. Well, I've shared some thoughts already, Mark. Hopefully something in there was helpful. Thank you for writing. Thank you for sharing your struggle, your experience, and a little bit of strength and hope, I think, in there too. If you're listening and you have some experience, strength, and hope to share with Mark, send it my way. Ashley sent us a voice memo with her thoughts about being in multiple programs. Good morning, Spencer and Recovery Show. I'm calling in in response to episode 386, Loss and Grief. There was a listener 
I believe her name was Melanie, had asked about how to manage ACA and Al-Anon membership. And I wanted to just respond to that. My primary program that I've found my healing in has been Al-Anon, but I have been wondering about ACA and I have attended a few meetings, but I'm planning on picking that back up a, a bit more. My family is riddled with the disease of alcoholism. I would say the primary alcoholics in my life were not like close family members, but like my grandparents. And so there was a lot of isms in our family. From what Melanie had asked, I was thinking of the Al-Anon people who come in that also go to other programs like AA or ACA, because I know a few who do both. And every time they come in, I hear them say a phrase, and I'm probably going to butcher it, so I'm sure maybe Spencer or any of you other listeners can clarify it, but I know they often say AA saved their life and that Al-Anon is giving them the ability to live it or something to that degree where AA is their primary must-do in order to survive program, but Al-Anon is unlocking the doors to allow them to live that life. Maybe ACA and Al-Anon can be looked at in the same way, and that ACA is the one that has brought back life for the person in it, and that Al-Anon is allowing them to learn how to live that life with other human beings. And to me, that's the perspective that I have gained from the meetings where we often have a primary program that is a must and that we qualify for every other one as well. I know for me, Al-Anon is a must, but I feel like maybe some of my inner child work needs to be done so that I can unravel those traumas and those past experiences as well. So I think each program can offer us something. But we don't need to have a reason. There doesn't have to be a qualifier. Like in my case, no one in my inner circle is an alcoholic, but I still get healing from Al-Anon. And so I don't think you need to have your finger on a reason. I think if you get healing from something, then it's worth it. If you've had a past experience with someone or an alcoholism, then you qualify. You don't have to have a concrete reason. Like when I went into Al-Anon, I didn't know who or why I had alcoholism in my life. I didn't think I did. I thought I was an imposter, but I still got healing from Al-Anon. So I went until I was able to clearly see the reality of my life and my family and the disease of alcoholism and how it's impacted us. So yeah, just go if it feels right. That's all I would say. Have a great day. I wish you lots of experience, strength, and hope. And love from Ashley from Alberta. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. Rajni, who was a guest for episode 371, titled A Teacher in Recovery, left a voice memo about loss and grief. Hi, Spencer. It's Rajni from San Francisco, California. I hope you're doing well. I've been getting your emails about shares and responses to my A Teacher in Recovery episode and each one brings me so much strength and hope and experience. I am calling to share and to thank you for your grief and loss episode. It came in quite divine timing, really. I recently learned that I will soon 
probably within the next year be losing my maternal grandmother, the only grandmother that I've known. And I don't actually know her very well. I've only met her a few times in my life. She lives in India. My mother told me that she was not doing well and her health was declining. And my mother had planned to go fly to India next month and see her before she passed. I had a lot of emotions come up for me and some buried memories for me that were really difficult and not so positive. You know, I've only met her maybe three or four times in my life. And one of those times when her and my grandfather came to visit, I was about 12 years old. It was the year that my parents had opened their business and they were very busy and just happened to be my grandparents could come and visit that summer and also watch me, my brother and my sister, and take care of us while my parents were doing all the things of setting up a new business. So I got to spend some time with her, but I really don't remember very much of that time except for a couple of memories that were not so great. I started thinking about how I felt like I was losing this relationship, this relationship that I never really quite had. And there's a lot of grief that has come over me. And I spent hours and hours a couple of weekends ago just crying and crying over this feeling of just being alone and being alone in the world. It's a first generation here and I have a really small family. My mother is the only one of her, <laughs> of her nine siblings that moved to America. It's very isolating. And I've always felt that loss, that aloneness of not having family and community. We're not like a typical Indian family. We don't have this big community of people. And I've always felt that aloneness and isolation, not only not having people, but also feeling alone in my family dysfunction. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. I identify as an ACA. And that feeling of being alone has never left me. And I often find myself wondering, am I ever going to find someone <laughs> to create this real sense of family now? Or am I just too fucked up? In my weekend of crying that I had set aside time for very skillfully, thanks to my amazing therapist, all of these feelings came up. I know I was avoiding a lot of those feelings and I was just managing, but I started to feel out of my body in trying to manage the feelings and when they should come up and when I was allowing myself permission to process them and feel them. So I set aside some time to allow them to come. And to help me along my way, I made a playlist. <laughs> Music is so important to me in my life, and it always has been. It's just a beautiful way for me to connect with my emotions and not feel so alone. I wanted to share about one of the songs that really helps me now ever since that that day a couple weeks ago. The song is an old one. It's by The Pretenders. It's called I'll Stand By You, and it just shows for me the relationship that I've developed with my inner loving parent and my higher power. No matter what happens, I can be there for me. And I know that that's a direct result of my program work 
and I'm so grateful for it. I can hear that voice now within myself telling myself it's okay if you're angry, if you're mad, get mad. (laughs) And it's so comforting. So when I had that day of letting myself cry and feel this grief, that was something that I ended my day with. And it's a message that I tell myself and I've continued to tell myself for the last couple of weeks. It's just been so loving and comforting and caring. And I wanted to share that with you and your show and your listeners. I know that in the episode on loss and grief, there was a really long share from a person who was also in ACA and they identified so many important tools, specifically mentioning the inner loving parent work. And I feel like it's been so impactful to me because when I was growing up, I didn't have a healthy parent to look to, to learn how to feel my feelings. This is something that I've been working on in my program work. I also told my mother recently that I was preparing to write a letter to my grandmother and express to her how much I needed her in my childhood and in my adulthood and how much I longed for that relationship that physical bounds of this world unfortunately didn't allow. I told my mother I had really strict guidelines around how she should share it because my grandmother doesn't speak English. So I would need somebody to translate this letter and not fluent in Hindi, which is her language. And I certainly can't write it. I can understand it, but I can't speak it. I can't write it. So I asked my mother and I gave her specific instructions and said, you are not to add or subtract anything from this letter. You are to read it exactly as it is and translate it. And if you decide that you want to take it upon yourself to change, I will find out. I will know. And you will have to live with that on your conscience. And it wasn't a threat. It was me being assertive and me saying exactly what my inner child has been longing to say. I told her I didn't want anyone else in the room with her reading it to my grandmother. And then to my surprise, she understood. And she even offered to call me on FaceTime or video chat while she was reading it to her. That was a very pleasant surprise and gave me some hope. So I'm trying to carry that with me and I'm preparing to write this letter that will be very emotional. And I know that I will stand by myself when I write it. So I just wanted to share that with you. And thank you so much for your show and all of the work that you do. Thank you. Hi, Spencer. Rajni again. (laughs) I was just wanted to add to my share these really hurtful, painful, negative memories that came up around my grandparents' visit, specifically around with my grandmother, were not because of her. She was actually a very caring and beautiful and loving soul that saw this dysfunction that was happening between my parents and tried her best to intervene and to stand up for her daughter and the unfair way that my mother was being treated. And that was the memory that came up for me 
of her talking to my mother and talking to my father and trying to help. And she was the only one that I have ever known in my entire family that I don't know very well, even the ones that are here, that was also my father's brother and his children and his wife, but they were (laughs) even more dysfunctional than my family. She was the only one that saw clearly and truly what was happening. So it felt like she could have helped in some way. And that's where that loss was coming from. That grief was coming from. If she had lived here, if we had been closer physically, like maybe it would have been different. Maybe I would have had a different life. Maybe my parents would not fight as much. Maybe they would be happy. Maybe we would be different. Maybe I would have experienced some form of true loving, caring, and a parental figure and not controlling and manipulation and conditional love. And I want to honor that feeling as well for my grandmother and honoring that I saw that and I remember that of her and that is my memory of her and it's tied to a painful situation, but that was her spirit and her love in trying to help. So I just wanted to add that into my share. Thank you. Thank you, Reginie. Thank you. Kathy wrote to us, Dear Spencer, I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting June 29th, 2021. I had an alcoholic loved one who I needed to find a way to leave. I had enough. I was welcomed into my first meeting by two nice ladies. I heard enough in that first meeting that I came back. I bought a bunch of literature and started reading it. I call it my 50-pound bag of books. I still tote it around today. I soon joined another meeting that was a step-study group from Reaching for Personal Freedom. I could learn this stuff in this step-study class. Who needs a sponsor? And then there's a smiley face. I ran across the phrase, detach with love, and I knew I had to figure out what that was all about. That is where you come in. After a Google search, I found one of your podcasts on detachment. I have a long commute back and forth to work, so I listened. You made complete sense of it for me and gave me the information I wanted so bad to understand. I listened intently and wanted more. Imagine my surprise when I saw you had so many episodes. I would search a topic and listen to it, and every day gained so much great knowledge about myself and my journey in the program. Again, if I wanted to learn more about a specific step, I would search your index, and there it was. You introduced me to Mary Pearl. The wisdom and humor of Mary Pearl was everything to me. Your podcast has been nothing short of life-changing for me. Last week, I knew I had to send you a thank you note because I made an observation. I never started your podcast on episode one. I'm just Spencer interjecting here. Episode one was like us trying to figure out if we wanted to do this podcast thing. The audio quality is horrible anyway. We didn't really know what we were doing yet, except we knew how to share. The only reason it's still there because I keep hearing from people about how episode one was valuable for them. And so it's still there. Anyway, she says, I never started your podcast on episode one. I sort of fiddled in the middle of your many episodes and bounced around. Recently, I've been listening to some of your earlier work. She writes, ha, in parentheses. Yeah, you were getting your bearings and learning how to do a podcast. That's just what I said. But that is not what I was left with. What I quickly picked up on was how much you have changed from episode one through today. Changed for the better, of course. You are so much more confident and eloquent. Your own growth and recovery is contained in all of the episodes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here again. I realized recently that I passed the 10-year anniversary of the podcast this month, 
without saying anything about it. So in 10 years, I would hope I have grown some in 10 years. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Thank you for pointing that out to me because sometimes I don't see it myself. Kathy continues, I also realize all the time and hard work that goes into creating your podcast. As I'm listening in my car or at the gym, no matter what the topic, I always have immense gratitude for you and what you do for so many of us. Yes, the ladies in the meeting first welcomed me in, but honestly, your podcast helps keep me centered in the program and keeps me coming back. A large part of my own recovery has been due to your show and the shares of many of your guests. You are making such a difference. I am still with the same loved one. When I kept saying I need to end this relationship, a wise woman in the program said, no, 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 you don't need to make that decision right now. Keep coming to meetings, start working the program, and see how things play out. They have played out better than I could have wishes for. He has been sober for about six months now, and we are doing pretty darn well. Had I followed my first reaction to leave, I would have missed the good parts today. It is all the miracle of Elanon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Spencer. Thank you just doesn't feel big enough. Signed, Kathy in Vegas. Well, Kathy, thank you for writing. Thank you for all of those kind words. I'm sitting here blushing, but you can't see that, of course. Thank you. Rochelle sent us a voice memo with some things that she's grateful for. Didn't make it in time for the gratitude episode, so here it is. Hi, Spencer. Top of my list is this podcast and the 12-step program, obviously. But in reality, I'm just grateful for all the people that walk into the rooms and acknowledge and I hear their problems. I know their problems are very similar to mine and I am no longer alone. I look around the rooms and I see capable, bright, intelligent, caring people. And then I know it, it's not just me. I look around the rooms and I learn from all of the people who speak and those who cry. I remember my past and I can see my future. So I am grateful for the people and all of the rooms. And I am very grateful for this podcast. God bless all of you. Thank you for sharing that, Rochelle. Amy writes, Hi, Spencer. I really appreciate your show and all the topics that you share. Listening to your podcast in the car has been a consistent source of serenity and wisdom for me. Thank you for your service. I wanted to share a resource that I found around working the 12 steps that helped me during the pandemic. Alice G. in Colorado filmed her step study group working through the 12 steps using the AA Big Book and posted her episodes on YouTube. I found them to be helpful, especially the graph around doing a fear and resentment inventory. Amy sends a link to her videos. They're titled Working the 12 Steps as an Al-Anon Using the Big Book of AA. I will put a YouTube link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 391. And Amy continues suggesting that Alice might be a good guest for the podcast. So I wrote back to Amy and said, thank you so much for that. I will watch slash listen to at least a couple of the videos and probably we'll see if I can invite Alice to come on the podcast because at least talking about what they did and how they did it, I think could be extremely enlightening and helpful. Thanks, Amy. Grace left a voicemail all the way from Australia. Hi, Sasa. My name is Grace calling through from Australia. I'm just actually gotten through. It's a bit of a god job because I 
tried calling different times but couldn't get through from Australia and I was listening to your podcast yesterday. And yeah, this case true. If you're calling from Australia, this is Vanessa. So yeah, really nice to get through. And I just want to say, like all the other listeners, your podcast is absolutely amazing. It's been a game changer in my recovery. Has honestly changed my life. I attend Al-Anon meetings face-to-face. I do a lot of Zoom meetings, but this is just that next element of my recovery for me. So when I'm going to get away and I can't get into a Zoom meeting, I can just put this on and listen as I walk. And it just makes me feel really safe. So thank you so much for your service. And just the fact that you've given me kind of much choice in your recovery. I'm a year and a half old almost two years into my recovery and I listened to one on the newcomer and also I'm a teacher and one on being a teacher and I just was like I really want to have the courage to be able to call true one day and just let people know and let you know how much this podcast means to me and how much Eleanor means to me and yeah and then I was like I'm going to dot point down everything about the podcast and I just thought now that I'm connecting more with my higher power I'm just going to try and speak from the heart yeah I think that my recovery journey has been like all of us I'm sure very challenging and I've had very big emotions come up and there's been points in the journey where I'm like is it worth it to continue on my mum's just leave from my profession and I'm like I don't know if I can even do this profession from a recovery point of view, because there's quite a few, a bit of toxicity everywhere at the moment in it. And uh, yeah, then I found that podcast of a teacher in recovery. And that was just so nice to not feel alone and to listen to. And I, I did actually, yeah, stop my career and told my boss that I couldn't do it. And I went on workers' compensation and I wouldn't have been able to do that without Eleanor and the gifts that have just come. Like I was very scared because I didn't know who I was because I'm an adult child, overworker, and the classic people pleaser and overworker. And when I stopped, I didn't know who I was. And I just did doing back to back. And my sponsor said, he's doing your step work. I actually did the steps through Arch to Freedom, not Eleanor. And I'm now just starting the Eleanor step. And Gosh, even thank you so much for the ACA podcast because that book for me, the big book, the red one, I actually carry it around in my bag because I just don't feel alone. It's very confronting to read, but it misses me because who I am, I've never been able to put into words who I am. And I didn't know that I felt so alone and lonely for so long until Joining recovery, but my mind's all over the place because I feel like a newcomer still. But yeah, I did stop my job and I get paid full time and I sent you to a psychologist because really was in a stressful classroom on top of recovery. And I had the courage to say, I can't do this. They sent me to a psychologist as well because that's part of it. And I'm, they put me now in a school where I'm working one day a week and PE teaching and it's just the gift keep coming that this podcast has really gotten me through. And I even just quickly said to my sponsor, as soon as I started listening, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. <clears throat> and I wanted to do it like you until I started to discover who I really am and what I really want. And I do want to do one one day, but no, not at this stage in my recovery. It's great. You love this podcast. Just 
keep doing your step work. Because <laughs> I keep getting disgusted by other things. I keep focusing on the step work. Yeah, but I really like how you mentioned other programs as well. I love how AA, I do attend, I actually talk at AA meetings about my journey with step work. I'm not an alcoholic myself, just an adult child. And the blessing that's given me as well, gosh, it's really nice going to them. I've stopped going to them lately because I was overdoing it myself. Yeah, I will keep listening. And I do want to say to, if you have just joined Eleanor, please keep coming back. You're not alone. The pain that you go through is worth the gift. I know that I have a lot of pain to go through, but there's a lot of good things that have been coming through as well. And the friends that I have made, has been absolutely amazing. I even went in a Zoom meeting in LA and I spoke for 10 minutes about myself, which was really scary. Just being able to share meetings and being okay and comfortable with myself and just being in a meeting and being with myself was just such a gift that I'd never been given and people truly listening to me and not feeling alone. So I really hope to the newcomers and to the people all around the world who are listening that Eleanor stays in your life and oh, we're just so lucky to have been given this gift and I hope that I keep coming back but just for today I will go and listen to one of your podcasts. I'm going to go and do a bit of a reading and I'll let God decide the rest of my day. I'm not sure yet. So thanks so much Sensor for your service and I hope I meet you one day or get to do a show with you one day. I can't put into words the blessing so who you are, and I'm so glad that you're in Eleanor, and to my mum as well. I know that she listens to this a lot, and I always refer this podcast on. So thank you, and blessing for your day. Thank you, Grace, for sharing that, for sharing where you are on your journey. I'm sure that you will touch somebody else who's listening. And also, I'm glad you finally managed to figure out how to call in. A listener writes, Hi, Spencer. Thank you so much for all you have done and continue to do. The podcasts are really timeless and, quotes, life-breathing help. I can't think of a better way to say it. We all feel so dead, breathless, lifeless, hopeless at times, especially living with active addiction, in my case, alcoholism. I'm a parent with an adult child who's an alcoholic. I re-listened to episode 70, and note here from Spencer, episode 70 is titled, Living with Alcoholism or Addiction. Our listener continues, I think I should have it on replay. Actually, I say that about most all the episodes. I'm feeling quite discouraged right now for my loved one and for the spouse, trying very hard to detach and take the best care of myself through this time of hell. I appreciate episode 70. My most takeaway tool for this moment in time is what you said. She or he knows recovery is there. (sighs) Yes, God's timing. It is so painful. Thanks again, a grateful listener. And thanks for writing. I'm with you there in that sort of pain and frustration, perhaps trying to find patience, trying to detach, whether it's a child or a spouse or another loved one. I think, yeah, there there is a special relationship with our children that I think does make it harder to, to let go, to let them find their own path, and to understand that that path may or may not lead to recovery. I reflect on the story I told about when my son was in the psych ward that I was able to provide for him things that he could not provide for himself, and that really helped. So 
that's something maybe to think about. What is your child asking for help with, if anything? What can you do for them that is support that they can't do for themselves? And that would be received in that way, because if they don't want it, then, you know, it doesn't work out well for anybody. Thanks, listener, for sharing. Amanda shares some things she has learned about other recovery programs, in particular, some stuff that's happening around Liverpool and in in the United Kingdom more broadly. Hi, Spencer and everyone at the Recovery Show. I recently attended a 12-step recovery fair in Liverpool, doing some PI work within our district and area. It was put on by the So the acronym is APPG, which stands for the All-Party Parliamentary Group on 12-Step Recovery, which I guess I don't really know that much about it and the UK Parliament government, but it's really incredible and it shared about how there are approximately 30 different 12-Step fellowships that are active in the UK. It was so fascinating to me learning about all of the different 12-step fellowships. For example, I did not know about DDA, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. There's just a ton of other ones. Like I have heard of RCA Recovering Couples Anonymous. But yeah, so they broke them up into the different 12-step fellowships. I'm on their website now, which I'll send you. You can share. But it says here that the all-party parliamentary group on the 12-step recovery was set up to review scientific evidence and current best practices in 12-step recovery, provide a forum for discussion in Parliament on the role of 12-step programs. A really nice thing about the recovery fair is that 12-step fellowships were invited to come, bring their PI literature, and then service providers like healthcare professionals, doctors. There was someone who works with children in homes with domestic violence. So yeah, just an interesting place to, as a PI perspective to bring professionals into learning about 12-step fellowships, knowing the signs, letting them know that they are there. And yeah, I just learned a lot about how many 12-step programs there are. And maybe there are more in other countries, but this is just here as a UK resource. They listed under relationships and emotions, codependence anonymous, CODA, ACA, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, EA, emotions anonymous, DDA, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. During the fair, someone was speaking about it, and it's like about mental health and people who are in a mental health scene, yeah, professional friend of health, and how to speak about it. And I just know that comes up so much in Al-Anon, so I just wanted to highlight that. People who do struggle with like bipolar, schizophrenia, and how that connects with addiction. RCA, Recovering Couples Anonymous, Families and Friends, Al-Anon, Naranon, COSA, for those affected by another's compulsive sexual behavior. FA, Families Anonymous, Alateen. GAM Anon, Families of Gamblers. CO Anon, Families of Cocaine Addicts. A-A-N-A-C-A. I'm not saying those because I'm assuming we know what those are. HA, Heroin Anonymous. MA, Marijuana Anonymous. CMA, Crystal Meth Anonymous. Process Fellowships. GA, Gamblers Anonymous. DA, Debtors Anonymous. CEA, Compulsive Eaters Anonymous, EDA, Eating Disorder Anonymous, WA, Workaholics Anonymous, OA, Overeaters Anonymous, UA, Under Earners Anonymous, 
Sex and Love, S-A-A, Sex Addicts Anonymous, S-A, Sexaholics Anonymous, Slaw, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, C-I-A, Survivors of Incest Anonymous, and then All Addictions, PAN Fellowships, PAN, for all 12-step programs. So I just wanted to share because it was really eye-opening for me to learn about all of these fellowships, particularly the dual diagnosis, because I know in my own journey and in Al-Anon and on this recovery show podcast, there's so many people who ask about this challenging space of how do we work the program, but it's not just addiction. There's also mental health involved. So it was cool to learn resources there. And just the fair itself was a very interesting event. I went as a representative of Al-Anon as public information within my service in our district, but all members could just attend and or attend anonymously. It was a cool place where people from all other fellowships within the community could meet, learn about other 12-step fellowships that exist. Professionals could not only learn about the 12-step programs, learn about maybe the warning signs and get information, get PI information, but rather than just having pamphlets in their office, they could actually then have a personal experience of um, saying, yes, I, I spoke with people within the fellowship and this is what they said and have more confidence in recommending 12-step programs. There was a demonstration of an open AA meeting, question and answer, and just overall felt like an interesting service, public information, recovery event that felt worth sharing on this recovery show. The organization is called the 12 Steps APPG, the all-parliamentary group on 12-step recovery. This is a little bit of an interesting space of while honoring our 12 tradition and remaining, yeah, remaining anonymous and service work being non-professional. And this is all just offering our own experience, strength, and hope. It was a cool intersection between sharing about like the 12 steps is an awesome resource it's anonymous however not invisible and how can we within our communities and even in our government maybe just like link or at least be some sort of a a connector to connect communities and professionals together and share this resource so it's not something that's so stigmatized and hidden so yeah if you're interested check it out or at least just to see this list of the 30 12-step fellowships within the UK. And if there are any more, that would be also really interesting to learn about. So thank you so much to everyone who contributes. It's so awesome to hear from so many different perspectives and voices. I know that this is a Al-Anon focused podcast, but I really love that in the same way that it's not a meeting, but it's a, it's almost like this meeting after the meeting fellowship time to talk about recovery related topics and that people from other programs come. And I know that particularly when I was before Zoom, before the Zoom boom, when I was living in a place where in order to even attend three meetings a week, I had to attend other fellowship meetings just to get 12 steps in that area. They were like, yeah, like just attend any 12 step meeting that's open because that's how you're going to get recovery. Whereas now, because there's an abundance of meetings, it's really easy to say, oh, I'm only ever going to go to Al Anon and then potentially to open AA because that's one of the tools of our program. But it's awesome to learn about these other types of programs. And I know I found a lot of, a, a lot of great information from ACA, 
their reparenting practice. And so it was cool to have all of the different fellowships at least know within the 12-step community. I guess I'm rambling now. But yeah, I'm just still blown away that having been in the rooms, I really did not know that there was this many fellowships. So I wanted to share. Okay, thank you and have a great day. Thanks, Amanda, for that. It's it's really interesting to hear about what's going on around the world in recovery. Ashley sent us a couple of voice memos. She did that thing where sometimes we say or asking for feedback, we say, you can do it right now. Well, Ashley did. She started listening to episode 211, Kindness and Courtesy, and I think she got about five minutes in and had to leave some feedback, and then later she left some more about the things that really talked to her, touched her in that episode. I wanted to call in and comment on episode 211. I just started listening to it. I believe it's titled Kindness and Courtesy. It's a bit older. I'm going through the backlog of recovery show podcasts and trying to get through all of them. And thanks to Spencer's fabulous work. There's a ton to go through. Eric said something along the lines that I used to have an expectation that people would give me a certain level of courtesy and kindness. If they don't, I would get resentful. He went on to say that, however, now, if they don't, I give myself the kindness and courtesy of not giving away my serenity and not caring that my expectation on this person was not fulfilled. And I really needed to hear that today. So thank you, Eric, for your contributions to The Recovery Show and for saying those words, because I really needed to hear them. As I... I'm living in a difficult situation currently, and I am learning that I desperately need to readjust my expectations if I want to be serene, because I keep giving away my peace. And I don't mean that in, I'm sharing my peace with other people. I'm giving it away so I can be miserable instead. And the reason I'm being this way is because I have set expectations on an individual and they are incapable of fulfilling my expectations, so I'm getting resentful. It's all an inside job. It's all me. I love that quote in Eleanor where expectations are premeditated resentments because, well, man, for me, it holds true. And I don't want this anymore. I really just don't want it anymore. I am poisoning myself, drinking that poison, expecting you to die, which is also another Al-Anon resentment quote. I don't want to be poisoned anymore. I don't want to hurt myself like this anymore. So. I'm going to take Eric's words as kindness to myself can look like not giving away my serenity and loving myself instead and saying, I am okay no matter what someone else does or doesn't do. I am okay and I can love myself no matter what someone else does or doesn't do. So thank you all for your service and bringing these words. And I'm going to continue to listen to it because I think I'm like five minutes in. So If I got this much out of five minutes, I hope there's a whole bunch more nuggets hidden in there that I needed to hear today. So thank you. Good morning again, Recovery Show. This is Ashley from Alberta, still commenting on episode 211, Kindness and Courtesy. In it, Eric chose a reading from One Day at a Time in Al-Anon on January 20th. And I'm going to read it here because I needed this reading today and maybe someone listening in today 
also needs to hear it. So here it goes. I cannot hurt others without hurting myself. This is a compelling reason for taking thought before I release words that might set off an angry interchange. Have I ever considered that my impulse to say something unkind comes from my own guilt and unease, which erupts in blows against others? It may be a momentary release for me, but it returns like a boomerang to increase my own discomfort. Impatience with others only generates their impatience with me. Impulsive criticism at an Al-Anon meeting can affect the unity of the group, on which I depend for my help. Today's reminder. If only I can learn to quiet my mind before I speak, I do not want to act with impatience and hostility, for I know it will react on me. It is a mistake to think that this requires self-control. Patience can be acquired by learning to let go of self-will. Jonathan Swift said, Whoever is out of patience is out of possession of his soul. Men must not turn into bees who kill themselves in stinging others. I must say, Eric and Spencer, with this episode, you have been slaying me today. I desperately needed so much of everything that was shared in that podcast and this reading. For me, like it talks about the boomerang returning. Well, for me, that boomerang carries a payload as well. Because I, when I behave in a way that doesn't align with my values and what I'm trying to do in Alamon, I have a very bad habit of beating myself up. I, as my sponsor would say, I should all over myself. I should have done this. I should have worked my program better. I should have. I should, should, should. And because I do that, I belittle myself and I berate myself and I get into an emotional turmoil. I know that's an inside job. I know I have a lot of work to do in that area. I am currently redoing my four-step in a light of how I interact and how I behave with myself and how I treat myself because in my first four-step, I wasn't aware of those character defects on how hard I am on myself and how I behave towards myself. It also talked about, it is a mistake to think this requires self-control. I think that's what I feel, that if only I could control myself better. Patience can be acquired by learning to let go of self-will. I'm going to take that away as a place for me to work on is letting go of my self-will and praying about that. And then the Jonathan Swift quote about turning to bees who kill themselves and stinging others. And that's the truth. That, that to me lends itself to the Alanon phrase, which is resentment is the poison I drink, expecting you to die. So if I allow my resentments to take over and I'm unkind and impolite to people, I'm actually poisoning myself. And this is very true in my life because I go into that headstand into that sinking thinking, into that catastrophizing and imaginary conversations, and it's not good. Another thing that Eric said, and I loved this, was Alanon teaches us to act opposite in our initial gut reaction. For me, this is very true. I've recently been thrown into a different home dynamic. We've had someone move in with us who is very challenging to live with. If I were to take their inventory, I would probably say that this individual is an untreated Alan honor. And I'll tell you what, guys, we be batshit crazy when we're untreated. <laughs> At any rate, now that I'm done taking their inventory, I have had a few interactions with this individual where my initial reaction was, you hurt me, so I'm going to lash out to hurt you in return. I never did that. At that time, when I had that initial reaction. So 
that for me was Al-Anon working in my life because that was what I wanted to do. But that's not what my higher power had in, in store for me. That was an opportunity for me to practice my program and not say that. Like I had to bite my tongue pretty hard. I may have drawn some blood, but I didn't do something that I regretted and that I had to 10 step later. And I'm really grateful for the program in my life because I would not have been able to do that in five years ago, three years ago. So one thing Eric said as well was, if I can speak in this tone of voice, I can get away with saying almost anything. And that's so very true. And something I could stand to apply a bit more in my light. I have been doing a better job of it, but I definitely could do more of it. An instance that I can think of where I... I could do better is I do let my frustrations and resentments sometimes color my voice and it does nothing to endear me to anybody. It turns me into the, the bad guy. And right now the person I'm living with is a victim who's in need of a perpetrator and I'm not enjoying being the perpetrator. And I know maybe some people would lean in and embrace it and I'd become that perpetrator, but that's not who I am or who I want to be. I want to, I want to, feel good about my interaction afterwards. And if I think if I did otherwise, I would beat myself up. If I can have interactions where I go, no, I'm sorry, this is not something I'm willing to do for you, but I'm sure whatever you come up with will be wonderful. Because right now I'm being pushed to be really enmeshed with another human being and I have no interest in that. I've been down that path. I've walked that and I don't, I didn't enjoy it the first time. I don't want to do it and again. So I, I am putting up boundaries and this person is not enjoying my boundaries. And that's another thing I need to be aware of is my people pleasing side really wants them to like my boundaries. And that's ridiculous. Boundaries are in place to protect me, not someone else. And me not getting enmeshed is me protecting me. But many people don't like that and they don't have to. And I have to stop caring that they aren't happy with it. But I can do that with kindness. I don't have to do the middle finger detachment. I can do it with love and kindness and say, this is just what I need. And this is my boundary. I don't have to announce it to get co-signatures, but I definitely need to put in boundaries in place for my own self-kindness, for my own self-love. Because that was one thing that kind of stuck with me with the sharings as well was, I need to give myself a lot more courtesy and kindness. And I just realized how long I've been talking for. So I'm going to say goodbye and thank you very much for this episode that I desperately needed. And I hope that other people find what they need in it as well. And maybe from my sharing, go back and check that episode out. So have a great day. Thank you, Ashley, for sharing that. Esther writes, Dear Spencer, thank you so much for your service to the recovery community through your podcast. I discovered Al-Anon a year ago, and more or less at the same time, I started listening to your show, which had become an important companion in my very slow recovery process. Okay, I'm going to continue the jumping in here thing that I've been doing today. I have heard the phrase, in Al-Anon time, meaning things happen in the time that they need to happen, which sometimes is slowly. Esther continues, I found this article, which adopts a very critical attitude toward AA and the 12-step program philosophy, a link to an article in the Atlantic magazine from 2015 titled The Irrationality of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
which I will put that link in the show notes. She says, I was wondering if you have encountered similar opinions in all the years you've been a member of Al-Anon and your wife in AA. Is it true that sobriety doesn't work for some people and that medication would be more beneficial? My husband goes through periods of abstinence followed by months of almost daily drinking. Holidays are the worst time his drinking and his behavior go out of control. I always thought he should hit his bottom in order to seek recovery, but after reading this article, I wonder if taking some medications would actually help regulate his drinking habits. I personally think this is not possible for an alcoholic, but I'm no expert, of course. Thank you for your thoughts. Kind regards from Germany, Esther. I read the article, and my first reaction was, I wish that the author hadn't spent what felt like the first half or two-thirds of the article really running down AA and 12-step programs without providing really anything positive. That made it hard to finish reading the article because I just felt like, wow, this person's so negative. And this is 2015, so seven years later, who knows? I don't know what the situation is now, what the understanding is now. But there is some interesting information in that article about medication that can help some people to regulate their drinking or not drink. But they also admit that just as AA doesn't help everyone, this medication apparently doesn't help everyone either. You know, different people are different. And I think that diversity of options could be really helpful here that different people require different ways of dealing with their abusive use of alcohol and or drugs. For some people, the spiritual solution found in the 12-step program works. For others, it doesn't. I know that my wife tried a number of different medication approaches, and they didn't work for her. Um, What worked for her was AA. One of the people that, that... The article talks about AA didn't work for them for a number of reasons. Medication did. Awesome. Where I think there's a problem in our societal response to alcoholism and addiction, first off, I want to say the way that our society, particularly in the U.S. that I'm familiar with, I I can't really speak for other countries, is starting to treat alcoholism and addiction as, I'll say the word disease, Again, the word disease is mooted about in that article, somewhat deprecated, but that it's not a moral failing. It's not about willpower. It's not about choosing to to do bad, but it really is something about body chemistry, etc. That acceptance in society, the development of things like drug courts that encourage people into recovery of some sort rather than just throwing them in jail, I think that's awesome. I think that's wonderful. I think we should do more of it. Where I think perhaps our current legal system falls down is in the idea that I see, and I don't know how true this is, but I see, well, here's a simple solution. Somebody's got a DUI, we'll sentence them to go to AA. I feel like that can be helpful because, again, forcing people into something that might help could be helpful. But for the people that it doesn't work for, I don't think it is helpful. And maybe these programs ought to have a little more flexibility about the kinds of solutions that they offer. I bet there's somebody listening who has more familiarity with the various medical approaches to addiction and alcoholism and what the 2022 knowledge is, the 2022 experience 
is, I'd really be interested to hear about that. And everything I just said is my opinion. My opinion. It's not the opinion of Al-Anon. It's not the opinion of AA. It's my opinion. But thanks for bringing it up, Esther. And I don't know what the answer is for your husband. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of any medication that helps to reduce codependency and enabling and all the worrying that we do about our loved ones and their addiction. So for us, I think the spiritual approach of the 12 steps, or there are other programs out there, maybe the only thing there for us right now. Sarah left us a voice memo. Hi, Spencer and Recovery Show. I am responding to a request for someone who can relate from the episode on worry, which is number 385. There was someone who called in named Carolyn or Caroline who asked about using the tools of Al-Anon while either experiencing cancer or caring for somebody who's experiencing cancer. And I do have that experience to share. I am a breast cancer survivor. I had breast cancer two and a half years ago. I've been in Al-Anon for five years. So luckily, I had some tools under my belt. And I thank my higher power for that. I thank my higher power every day that I had a strong relationship with them at the time of my cancer diagnosis. I was able to see much more the work of my higher power in my life because of that. Because it's very challenging to see why things are happening when you're going through a cancer diagnosis. I had to make a lot of decisions in a short period of time, which is very common at the beginning of cancer and at various stages. And I really tuned into my higher power and said, guide me. And I got clear answers. I got direction and I made choices that were the right choices for me. And that experience in and of itself really was a spiritual awakening for me to learn that I could make choices that would be the right ones for me. I didn't have a lot of self-confidence prior to that. It really changed my relationship with self. And Spencer is absolutely right that self-care is definitely the number one thing to do when going through either caring for somebody with cancer or experiencing cancer yourself. It's incredibly hard for many of us in Al-Anon to focus on ourselves. Yeah, that won't be new information probably for a lot of people, but that is true for me. But going through cancer really taught me that I'm important and that my higher power is there for me. And I had the experience after that that I couldn't stop listening to that inner voice, that higher power. It just grew so much stronger. It was like it had become part of the way that I lived and made decisions. So I'm now in a state where I'm really grateful for the experience of having had cancer. And I know a lot of cancer survivors who are grateful for that. And it sounds weird to say, but it's true. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and help, Sarah. And I did forward your response to Carolyn. Holly wrote to us saying, 
First and foremost, I would like to say a massive thank you to you specifically. I'm new to Al-Anon, but not new to the problems of living with active alcoholism. Jumping in here, yeah, I think most of us who come to Al-Anon because of active alcoholism in our life are not new to the problems of living with active alcoholism. It is not usually the first thing we think of. For me, it was the end of a long struggle of trying to do it myself or being in denial about it or saying it's not my problem. Yeah. So anyway, right there with you, Holly. She goes on, my qualifier is my partner of 12 years. We have two young children together. I've been jumping around listening to episodes that spoke to me and now started listening from the beginning in order. I just listened to number 108, which is titled Criticism and Self-Compassion. And all I can say is I had no love or compassion for myself. My inner critic has been a longstanding best friend. Yesterday, I can admit I wallowed a bit in my former pattern of beating myself up. I forced myself to my home group and I sulked through it. And there's a laughing smiley face, a laughing emoji. However, I felt compelled to write because this morning my higher power brought into my awareness that I actually do have good qualities and even better, I have rough edges that I can work on and shape to be better. And that it doesn't have to come all at once, but can be one day at a time. I have things to offer now that I couldn't offer five months ago. I would never have reached out like this and I have to be grateful that I am starting to find my voice. Your situation and words have been a great comfort because I can see so many of the things you speak about in my life. I no longer have to go through my journey alone. I am not the only person in my situation or feeling these feelings. I would also like to thank the guests and supporters and everyone who contributes in some way to the show. And I'll say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of the guests and supporters and everyone else who has contributed, including Holly right here, right now. And Holly said she might consider being a guest speaker. Thank you, Holly, for that. She says, please get in touch if you need someone. I keep stringently reminding myself that even early in the program, I might say something someone needs to hear. And then she tells us, fear for her is face everything and recover, not the former F everything and run. Parenthesis. For me, that was emotionally running away to a safe place in my mind. Thank you again, Holly in the UK. And she says, LIF. I don't know what LIF is. Anybody? Thanks for writing, Holly. Annabelle starts with a little French. Bonjour tout le monde. Which is the best I can do with French right now, despite four years of French in high school and a year of French in college. It's been a while. Anyway, Annabelle says, I'm from Montreal, but I live in Charlevoix. Well, I would say Charlevoix because that's how we would pronounce it in Michigan, but I bet in Quebec it's Charlevoix. A beautiful place up in the mountains. Leaving Montreal for Charlevoix was hard on me. I felt lonely, and I missed all my meetings back in the city. Here, there's not a lot of place to do meetings, especially Al-Anon meetings. And I found your podcast, three exclamation points. I am so grateful to find you guys. You don't know how this is working for me. I found a little bit of peace, and I practice again my gratitudes about my life. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm sober for 22 years, but I really need to learn how to detach from others because it makes my life and me miserable. So, again, thank you for your time and energy to put on this, and I will continue to listen to the podcast. And she apologizes for her English being a French speaker, and I got to say, her English is a lot better than my French, okay? Signing herself, bonne journée, which means good day, with a nice smile face. Annabelle. 
Thanks, Annabelle, for writing. I wrote back to Annabelle and said, there are meetings online. And she said, yeah, I know. I attend meetings online. But the podcast is also helpful to me. I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, Nishiera, something like that. On the Four Primary Ideas episode, number 389, writes, this episode is a gem. Thanks so much, Spencer, for your efforts and contributions. I once heard in a meeting, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. It helps me when I get stuck in perfectionism, sending love and a nice heart emoji. Thank you for that. And thank you for reminding me that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Because I also get stuck in perfectionism. So I hope I'm doing a little better than poorly today, but at least I'm doing it. Lindsay writes, Hi, Spencer and all who share on The Recovery Show. I just want to say thank you and let you know that I listen to your podcasts as often as I can. They have been inspirational and have saved my serenity many a time when I have been struggling between meetings. I would love to share and recommend the podcasts with other members of our Al-Anon group, but realize I cannot do so at our meetings because it seems it is not officially WSO approved. However, I do share privately as I'm aware of the value of the help that it has given me. I've been hoping I'm wrong about the fact that it is not Al-Anon approved and would love you to tell me this is not the case. In the meantime, thank you and the program for saving my family and I from fear and despair and for setting us on the road to spiritual growth and serenity. Praying hands. Lindsay. Lindsay, you're right. This is not an Al-Anon meeting. This is not conference approved anything. This is me and my guests sharing our experience, strength, and hope centered on the 12 steps of recovery and especially the 12 steps of recovery as practice in Al-Anon. So keep on sharing it with your friends, but yeah, privately, outside meetings, after meetings. If you go on the website, if you're on a computer, it will be on the right-hand side of the screen. If you're on a phone and maybe a tablet, it's all the way at the bottom. There's a stack of links under the heading Our Stuff. There's a link to Recovery Show Cards, which is a PDF file that you can print out that basically makes Recovery Show business cards that you can hand to people. I've done this. Carry them around with me, hand them out. Makes it easy. If you want, that's a way you can also share it. A different Amanda shares some thanks in a voice memo. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I just wanted to call and let you know that your podcast really, really helped me. It helped me to get up the courage to finally not pick up the other side of the rope, I guess. I ended up packing up and moving out of my home with my 15-year-old son. And as scared as I was, I rented another home and I am filing for divorce. My husband went to rehab last November. And after two months being out, he started back into the cycle of drinking again. And as we know, it's a progressive thing, and it starts out, I feel with good intention, but it progressed to where now he's drinking morning, noon, and night, still holding his job. But I guess the hardest thing for me to understand is he hasn't tried contacting me or calling me or anything in over three weeks. And I don't know why it bothers me, but I just feel like after 10 years, there would be something there. Like he would reach out, but yet there's nothing. And it's like he doesn't care. Anyways, I'm just wanting to thank you so much for all the episodes that you've done. I'm listening to him in order now. I just think what you do is great. He's doing 
what you're doing, and I always look forward to new episodes. Thanks for listening to me ramble on. Have a great day. Amanda, I feel the feels, as the youth say today, or at least they did a few years ago. I try not to explain or even try to necessarily understand other people's actions, especially when they don't seem rational to me. I just recognize that people are where they are, and sometimes that means that they're not ready to connect. I hope things go well for you, and send us an update someday. Paula writes, Hello, Spencer. I recently discovered The Recovery Show and have dropped deeply into recovery as a result of listening to many conversations. Episode number 35 is one of the most powerful discussions I've heard in Al-Anon. Thank you. Episode 35 was about step eight. Thanks, Paula. Step eight's a tough one. Carrie sent us a voice memo. Hey there, my name is Carrie, and I just wanted to express my gratitude. I just found your podcast today. I'm in a bit of a heightened state due to my spouse's behavior and choices with alcohol. So I'm not able to go home today, and I'm just occupying myself while driving around in circles through the city. And I came across your podcast, specifically show 383 with Laurel. And wow, did not realize how hard I was working in this relationship and did not realize the way I have been enabling and trying to cope. And I just cannot believe that there's actually a resource that addresses this and has this type of information. And I just wanted to let you know that even though that's a old episode, it had me bawling in my car and it felt like it was brand new and presented to me. I know I'm not that unique or special. I do understand that this is happening to people all over, but it felt like exactly what I needed to hear today. And it has been a gentle reminder that there is hope and that there is help and that I don't have to suffer through this alone. Specifically, Laurel, just a recounting of the extreme gaslighting and just the uh, way she was trying to duck and bob in between these things because she's married and there's children and I am in the same situation and the shame I feel and the ways that I have tried to avoid conflict by just doing everything I can to keep him happy, try to be non-confrontational, which also means me drinking to not rock the boat and make sure, you know, that I'm not pointing fingers or judging and just trying to keep things light, even though I know deep down inside that it's killing me and it's damaging my child's sense of safety and belonging. And I could rattle on forever. I just am really grateful. And I'm sure you get that message all the time. I'm boozling local meetings and we'll begin a process of trying to extricate myself from the addiction and do what I can to take care of myself. And I just hope you have a wonderful day and I hope you understand how proudly. Thank you, Carrie. I will forward this to Laurel because I'm sure she will be happy to know that her story has touched somebody else so deeply. Thank you for calling. Maya, writes, just wanted to say thank you to Spencer and everyone who makes The Recovery Show possible. The time, thought, generosity, and love that you put into this program is evident in every episode. 
I found the show when I was at a real low point a few months back with my family of origin, and the show brought me such comfort. Listening to the show got me back into ACA meetings, to reading the literature, and to re-realizing just how many people are traveling this path with me. Truly, words fail me in trying to express my full gratitude. I wish you all the best, and I look forward to listening to more new episodes soon, as well as re-listening to the wonderful archive. Thanks, Maya. And, yeah, it's one of the reasons we keep doing this. One of the reasons I keep doing this is because I get feedback like this that it's helping. And to be honest, it helps me too. Daphne left us a voice memo with gratitude too late for the the gratitude episode. Hi, Spencer. My name is Daphne, and I've never shared before, but as I learn in Al-Anon, I have a voice. And you had asked to send in notes about gratitude, and I want to say that I'm very grateful that I can hear your calming voice at any point when I play one of your episodes as a form of self-care. Secondly, I have a beautiful purple kind of floral bush that is home to many hummingbirds, I think. I've never been so close to a hummingbird's wing flap. And when I walk by, I hear this thrum of wings. It's almost like a jet. It's so beautiful. And I smile every time I'm near them. And finally, I'm very grateful for the disease of alcoholism, if you can believe it, because that's what brought me to Al-Anon. And I don't think I deserved alcoholism. And I didn't cause it, and I can't control it, and I can't cure it. But I have tools now for living that have absolutely changed my life. And they brought me closer to my higher power. And I'm incredibly grateful just for today. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne, for that and for the vision of hummingbirds. The last song, the third song that I picked, is another song with a story that I have connected to in different ways throughout my life. The song is Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. And again, you can listen at therecovery.show slash 391. Somebody pointed out to me a little while ago that there's alcoholism in this song. I never recognized that. I think in 1988 when it came out, I was not aware that there was alcoholism in my life, although there was. In this verse here, see, my old man's got a problem. He lives with the bottle. That's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like his. My mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school, and that's what I did. Yeah, we want to take care of the people in our life. What she is wanting in the song is a fast car to get away. And maybe she will. And maybe she won't. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.